Well, uh, New Year's Day is tomorrow. I hope we spend enough time getting our New Year's resolutions so in about three months we can readjust them, if you're anything like me. Um, uh, we're going to look at the next passage in uh, Ephesians, so pa- uh, chapter 4. In Ephesians, we'll begin at verse 7. Um, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, please do. Many of you probably remember the book Love Languages, which was written several years ago. I'm not sure, maybe 15 years ago. Um, I think it was a really it was a great book in many ways. It was helpful in other ways. It was a little bit hurtful uh, to our culture, but it was helpful because you could see uh, it gave words to the understanding that if someone really what they wanted was time, they wanted quality time, and you kept giving them gifts. And then you get in this argument, whether it was a spouse or dating relationship or sibling, parent, and you just get confused. And you think, well, I just don't understand that person. Because you're giving all these gifts, trying to let them know how much you love and appreciate them. And they're saying thank you and they're putting them down. And all they want is quality time with you. But there's no way to communicate that. Because sometimes we just need words to help us. I think that book really helped with that, help us communicate and understand each other. I think one thing it did in a hurtful way is it made us um, sometimes a little more selfish. And someone would give you a gift, and, you know, we were all very, we're all very kind and thankful about things. But then it, we're really saying, you know, I've read love languages, and you need, I'm a words of encouragement person, so this really is not meaningful to me. <laughs> Where somehow, like, they have to love you the way that you demand love, essentially. And we see how that can be hurtful. Uh, as we look at this passage, this morning we're going to look at how God has given uh, gifts to people in the church so that they serve, and, and the result of that is unity and spiritual maturity, growth and faith. Uh, but sometimes it might not be the gift that you want to have, or someone has the gift that you don't think they should have. And so we'll look through this passage. Uh, remember, as we've talked through Ephesians, um, and I, I talk about this a lot because I think about it a lot, the indicative and imperative, uh, understanding the indicative, this is who you are, these are objective truths, imperative, uh, this is what you're called to do, simply. Uh, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, uh, there are no imperatives. It is all about what God has done for his people. And then we get to chapter 4, in the beginning of it, and then Paul begins to lay out This is what you're called to do. Once you understand this deep, rich theology of who God is, this is how you're a changed person. And so have that thought in your mind as I begin to read, beginning Ephesians 4, uh, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? When he descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I hope it's not new to people that uh, we're made differently. Uh, we're not the same, not just physically, outwardly, but uh, our interest, what we're uh, naturally equipped for, the way God has shaped you, the passions and, he, and desires that he's given you for his glory. And this is amazingly true in the body of Christ, in the church. We're all equipped differently. And what's really fascinating about this is even when I stand up here and want to uh, explain uh, the scriptures to you, uh, it's heard very differently. And uh, one person will come to me and say, oh, like that, you know, that made a lot of sense to me. That was helpful. Another person, and this happens sometimes, like that was horrible. That was not helpful. But anyway, the point is <laughs> we all hear things differently. And it's not bad, but we are, we're a group of people we are unified by our faith, not because we have the same interests, not because we're made with the same gift. The great thing in the body of Christ is appreciating those who are gifted in a way that you are not. This passage begins with, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is not talking about uh, salvation, where one person might have more salvation than another person. This is talking about the gifts for ministry within the body of Christ. Christ has dispensed his gift, his gifts to each member of the body for his glory and for unity, which is really fascinating that there's diversity in the body for unity. There's diversity, which the, the, one of the purposes of that is for unity. So we begin to appreciate each other more. These gifts are given not because of someone's worth or merit or the potential that they have, but because of the wisdom of Christ. When we long to be like some other person, it is not just jealousy uh, that we struggle with. It is really, uh, we struggle with God's providence and his sovereignty. That God has gifted someone for something and he's gifted you in a different way. Because Christ, Christ has dispensed gifts. Why does Christ uh, gift us in different ways? One reason is our arrogance knows no bounds. <laughs> and it is helpful for us to be in a community where we see, wow, that person is really good at that. 
That person is, they're so creative or they're so administrative and it's a wonderful thing. And then as a body to help those people serve in those avenues that God has shaped them. But sometimes when we see people gifted in ways that we want to be gifted in, uh, we think, well, I would have done that better. I could have handled that better. The diversity of, the church, of gifts in the church reveal that we need each other and that even the diverse body is a gift. And so we gather here on Sunday morning, not because we're all the same. We gather because we are very different, but we, 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 we gather because we have a unity of faith. Uh, we believe in the core essentials. In this list, Paul just gives five uh, gifts and really offices, as we, you'll see as we talk through them. But Paul um, only lists five here. They're up to 20, if you look at all through the New Testament, of lots of different gifts given to the church for building up the body, for unity, for our growth in grace. <clears throat> so uh, verse 11 says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I'm just going to take a moment just to walk through each one of these. And then we'll look at um, what does spiritual maturity look like? Valuing these gifts, what does unity and growing together as a body and spiritual maturity look like? First one listed is apostles. Uh, there are 12 apostles listed. If you look at Matthew 10, it lists all their names. Uh, if you know the story, uh, Judas uh, rebelled and he was re replaced by Matthias. We read about that in Acts. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, was called an apostle untimely born. And after that, there are no more apostles. Uh, even in church history, no more apostles. Uh, we, if you look at Ephesians 2.20 and then chapter 3, verse 5, it talks about that um, apostles and prophets are foundational gifts for the church. Um, so what do we do with this? In Second uh, Peter and Jude, it is mentioned to recall the teaching of the apostles. So the apostles are significant, not only to the early church, but they're significant to us, and we are not to make more apostles. Uh, two other apostles died previous to this letter being written, and they were not replaced. And so apostle was someone who was uh, called by Jesus, appointed by Jesus, and had a, a special relationship with him. Uh, Paul's is very unique, and I think that's why he's called Paul an apostle, one as one untimely born. We don't have that. But what we have is the writings of the apostles. We have uh, stories of their ministry. If this office of apostle was to continue later in the new, uh, past the New Testament, uh, the New Testament would have affirmed it. Uh, those two that died, they would have been replaced. And there would have been a lineage, not only in the New Testament, but also in early church history. There would have been people that, hey, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle. But there's no record of that. But if we talk about uh, one as an apostle, maybe like uh, not as the office of apostle, but... Uh, what is our apostolic ministry as believers? 
uh, the apostle means sent one. So this continues. We are people and we are sent. We are not just people who gather. We gather and we're sent. This is a part of someone who knows Jesus. This is a part of who you are. You are a sent one. Um, uh, the prophets, uh, which is interesting here, uh, it mentions apostles, and then it mentions prophets. If someone was to ask you which came first, we'd probably say, well, prophets came first because they're in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it, we talk more about apostles. Um, but as Paul is writing, he's acknowledging that there were prophets present in the New Testament. Prophet is also listed as a foundational gift. The primary role of a prophet in the Bible was to call the people of God back to live within the covenant relationship that God created. So the prophet was to warn people and to say, repent, because this is the God you serve. This is what God has done for you. Repent, turn from your way, and enjoy living within this covenant. They foretold the will of God to the people in hopes that they would repent, trust in Yahweh, fulfill their covenant obligations. This is what the prophets did, and this continued uh, within the New Testament. Um, any attempt to renew the office of apostle or of prophet is to go against Scripture. If you use uh, the biblical understanding of a prophet, was that what they said was true. And if they said something not true, according to Deuteronomy 18, um, not only were you not listened to, but you were killed. And so there's a weightiness of that word and what that office held. It's confusing many times if we use that word of prophet or prophecy and we mean something else that does not line up with how Scripture uses it. And then it goes on, the word evangelist, someone who brings this message, someone who uh, proclaims the message. So this is similar to an apostle, someone who's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Philip in Acts 21 is called an apostle. Timothy is encouraged to do the work, or an evangelist. Timothy is encouraged to do the work of an evangelist. This is the only place in Ephesians that this term is listed as some kind of office. But the word evangelism is commonly used as part of the life of the one who knows Jesus. So we have an apostolic ministry, which is uh, someone who is sent. We have a ministry of a prophecy of telling the truth of God in Scripture to someone. Uh, evangelism is telling the good news to someone. And then it mentions shepherds and teachers, and sometimes it's a hyphenated word. They use it as one office, shepherd, teacher. Shepherd uh, is like the word for pastor. Uh, talks about in uh, 1 Peter to shepherd the flock among you, speaking of the elders, to care and to protect and to lead. Uh, part of shepherding, part of pastoring is teaching. 
It is not the only part, though. And the pastor is not the only one who can teach. The elders are not the only one who can teach. When you sit down with someone and ask them questions about their life and open up the Bible and uh, talk through God's Word, that's teaching. Here it's talking about the teaching meaning the ministry of God's Word. Correct biblical exposition. What does the Bible say? These officers uh, all show the diversity in serving the people of God, and they come from God's generosity. Uh, It's not that they're just as God's authority, but it's because God is generous, and he knows what you and I need, and we need people to walk with us. God cares about his people, and we see this in these roles. We see that throughout the Old Testament where God gave prophets, and that was a gracious gift. God gave apostles. That was a gracious gift. If we were to look back uh, through the Bible and see how these offices were used, um, one thing we would recognize is that when God calls someone uh, to fill one of these offices, it's, this is really amazing to me. The majority of the time, uh, the person says, no. <laughs> there, uh, no, I don't want to do that. Look at Moses. God calls Moses to be a prophet. Uh Uh-uh. I can't do that. I can't speak. Here are all the reasons why. I will help you, though, find someone else, God, because obviously God needs help finding people. But I think the strange thing is the other side of it is, is that we don't recognize that. And so when God called people, their first reaction was, I don't want to do that. Which, which really is the opposite of, of how we think God should work. We should create this great plan, and we're going to think through all the details, and then we just pray that God's going to get on board and put me in the position, and we're going to do this. Instead of God calling you, putting a desire in your heart, having you understand the risk that you're taking when God calls you to do that. God has always gifted his people with leaders, uh, some good, uh, some not so good, Uh, but all human, all fallible and weak and needing the same redeemer as the people of God. And I hope as a church that uh, we understand that, that Uh, I, being your pastor, I don't need a whole different uh, way of salvation and comfort and hope than you do. Uh, I need the same thing that you do. Uh, The difference, one of the differences in uh, this calling of being a pastor is I stand before you and and I want to proclaim this. But as I do this, many times I sit like you do and think, oh my gosh, that's hard to believe. And I stand up here in weak faith, and I pray that God does stuff. I'm just like you. But we live in a time where the hunger and thirst of our life many times is focused on individualism, of our own desire, our own plan. And we've all heard this phrase, and maybe many of you have said this phrase, I just need to be who I am. I just need to 
I just need to be the person I believe that I am. And many times this dream of following life like this, um, you leave out your devotion to others and the unity of the body, of being with a people. And I've heard people say, if you can't support me in this, then you just don't love me. We are bent toward love for self over love for others. And this passage addresses this. One reason uh, for this is that there is no risk in love for self. Um, You're not going to love yourself the wrong way. If you uh, need words of affirmation and you know that, like that's what you're going to go after. You're not going to put up with anything else. Uh, But rarely do we see that as we view the body and the people around us. So Paul has spent three chapters building the theological foundation for this practical application. All three chapters, Paul begins here with the application of be unified, grow in spiritual maturity, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What's interesting is Paul could have spent the first three chapters of this book talking about any theological concept. He could have answered the question of creation. All the questions we have as human beings of confusion. Was it really six 24-hour days? Was it ages? What was it? He could have finally answered the question of, like, how do you run a church? Tell us exactly. Don't leave anything in the gray. But Paul spends three chapters talking about salvation. Talking about grace. Talking about the Trinitarian work on your behalf to set you free. And this is a summary of the beginning of Ephesians. God has embraced a people whom he has adopted. All these words are in there. Called, predestined, redeemed, given an inheritance, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. His body of people has been called out of death and darkness and into light and life and made into a new creation, a new humanity and called his workmanship for good works. And now we begin to see, oh, now the good works. Now we see, what do we do with with all this theology? And this is why this is so important, because you can't just start in chapter 4 and say, all right, we're going to gather, and we need to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. We need to be unified We need to be mature. We need to grow. All right, let's pray and we're done. Get those things done. But Paul knows our weakness. He knows that if you focus on those things, you miss the entire story of redemption. It is because God has called you and set you free, given you life. What are these good works? The work of growing in unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It's very simple. Unity of faith, growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. And this is summed up in what we could say is spiritual maturity. But I think it should be called uh, maturing spiritually. Because there's never an end. We never get to a place where, okay, good. I've reached the level of maturity. 
and now I can do other stuff. The diversity of gifts are called for a consistent, are all for a consistent purpose. Unity, maturity, having us grounded in truth. Whatever body of believers that you are involved with, your local church, uh, you are to serve this body. Serve this body with the gifts that God has given you. But we're all made differently. And God in his creativity has gifted us very uniquely. Uh, I think about the issue with the Love Languages book is I think the same way that we, we think about uh, our spiritual gift. The, you know, maybe your spiritual gift is administration or um, uh, mercy. And so you come and you say, hey, I'm gifted in mercy. Like, what do you want me to do? And I say, well, like, I want you to go be merciful. <laughs> um, but then... Like, hey, we need some help in the nursery. No, no, no. I said mercy. I didn't say nursery. <laughs> and so then sometimes people get frustrated because there's not this avenue that will really help them. Uh, maybe some of you are artists and uh, you are creative. You can sculpt something or draw something and paint. And it's amazing and outstanding and it is beautiful. I know that when you are in your house at home, you still cook. You still wash dishes. You still make your bed or do laundry. Those are just part of who you are. Uh, this is the same thing in the household of God. We still have those jobs of, like, we could call, like, washing dishes. And many times, those are where we need help. And so... As a body of believers, when we stand before you and say, hey, we need some help in the nursery. We need some help in facilities. Like right now, we need someone to uh, get a couple people to get trained to work sound, which means you could turn off my mic anytime you want. Um, and that might not be what makes you really excited, but as a body, that's our need. Uh, we need people to help set up in the morning. And make coffee and smile and welcome people when they walk in the door. Um, I, don't, I don't see those as a spiritual gift. Uh, I see a lot of those as just being a part of the household of God. And so one application of this would be, if this is a church that you are at and you regularly want to be involved in this community, we need your help. Just like your house, we need help with dishes and laundry making your bed. And so, uh, if you're not helping in an area, connect with me. And I won't put you in, a, if you hate kids, you're not going to be put in the nursery. We have enough flags that we can find that out about you. Um, or screens, I guess. Um, but anyway, uh, we're all called to serve in the way, not only the way that God has equipped us, but also the needs of the body. We're called to respond to them. Paul is very clear here that uh, the body needs a lot of work. Paul paints this picture of a body blessed beyond measure for three chapters that still needs each other. This is who we are. 
Verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. We could stop here and take stock of all the things that need to be done within these walls, and then we could make a huge list of outside the walls in your neighborhood and your community. It is truly overwhelming. Uh, one thing I, I, one of the many things I struggle with in this calling and my job is that stuff is never finished. <laughs> like, if people ask me, like, Thursday, oh, you done with your sermon? No, like, 10.30 Sunday morning, it's done. Uh, because that's what I have, and here I am, and 11.15, I can say it's completely done. Not great, not awesome, but <laughs> okay, there, it's done. So what is spiritual maturity? What is uh, building up the unity of, bo- of the body, growing in the knowledge of God, this spiritual maturity, what is it? I'll tell you a few things it's not. It's not correlated with age. It is not automatic. You don't just wake up every morning and you're just more spiritually mature. You have more wisdom than you did the day before. It is not a spiritual gift that somehow someone has the gift of spiritual maturity. But usually someone would claim that, I think. (laughs) I don't think we'd say anything else. We'd be like, I have that. And I can't serve anywhere because I'm busy. Um, I, not, uh, it's not living at a higher moral code that you are then spiritually mature. Is none of those things. Spiritual maturity is actively living out your new creation identity. That you are a child of God. And you live in this pattern in your life of faith in Jesus and repentance of your sin. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. It's not striving to attain what you already have, the love of your heavenly Father, but growing in knowledge of God, eagerly pursuing the unity of faith as we enjoy the diversity of the body of Christ. This is what spiritual maturity is, where we can see that someone is more gifted than us in an area, and we can encourage them and support them. And I think many times we see the struggle for spiritual maturity as um, imagining that you're lost at sea and you're just floating. And you see a distant island and and you you call that uh, spiritual maturity. And what you have to do is you have to get to that island and then you've arrived as someone who is spiritually mature. Uh, that That is not the correct view of spiritual maturity. Uh, The correct view of spiritual maturity is that uh, because of God's great love and grace, uh, you are placed on this island. And you can look out at the beauty of the sea, the storms at sea, but nothing can drown you. And it is a work of understanding God's grace and love. Because this is what Paul did, is he spent three chapters talking about that. And as you and I can understand our security in Christ, then we can see that that extending 
kindness and mercy and serving and thinking of other people first, that there's joy in that. Because we're not striving for significance. Uh, We have it. It's yours. You are someone, if you are in Christ, if you trust in him, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You have everything in Christ. This is what Paul said in chapter 1. God has faithfully gifted all of his people, and your gifts rightly used will help bring unity of faith and growth in the knowledge of God. And that is what we want you to do. We want you to serve. Uh, In some ways, it's going to be hard because it's not the way you want to serve. But it's going to be refining because you might realize that you really are on that beautiful island of God's blessing and goodness and mercy. And so you can do hard things. But you're not attaining anything. God in his great love, in his great creativity, in his great wisdom, he made the body of Christ made up of diverse people. Our calling is to take joy in that and to rest in the unity of faith in Christ alone. Let's pray as we come to the table of communion this morning. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are good and faithful, that you know our weakness, you know how prone we are to um, not be satisfied with the way that you have made us. And we pray as a body that we would openly, um, we would have the freedom and grace to repent of that and to know that you have made us and shaped us individually. You have called us to be yours. You have sealed us with your spirit. And we thank you that through the struggles we have daily, it does not change our status as children of God. And we pray that we would be a body that could encourage each other and move toward unity and peace and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.